Hey, so welcome back. We are, um, we are in the middle now of our At The Movies series, so I um, hope everybody got their popcorn. All right, anybody still need some? We probably have delivery service. Um, so last week, Paul went through um, the movie Transformers, epic, right? Robots in Disguise. Um, Next week, he's going to wrap up the series with the movie Wonder. Uh, I don't know if anybody's seen the movie Wonder yet. Um, today, though, we are going to go full-out nerd and, uh, and dig into finding the church and looking at the, take a look at the church through uh, the Lord of the Rings, okay? So um, let's just, let me just um, judge you all, I mean, categorize you all. Who has... Who, show of hands if you've never seen the Lord of the Rings films. Okay. Now, wait. Right, now, raise your hand if you've never seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but you've watched the Hobbit trilogy. I'm so sorry. That's a, that is the, the hottest of garbage. Uh, we will not be showing clips from the Hobbit trilogy. It was just awful in so many ways. We can talk about that later. Um, you should read the Hobbit book. Because you know these were books first. Um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy was like, um, for all, they did a great job with it. Uh, it was, it was kind of like getting an Americano from Connie's or Rick Glory Beans. And then The Hobbit was like if your grandma made you like some uh, decaf Folgers, the big green tub <laughs> that she uses for an entire year. And she's not, like, strong enough to put the lid back on and seal it. So just the worst thing you can imagine was The Hobbit. But, um, so we're going to dig into the Lord of the it's, it's appropriate. It was terrible. I was depressed. Jeremy, will you pull up that first slide for us? So we're going to look today at um, what we can learn about the church through the Lord of the Rings. Um, and... The main, here, here what we're gonna do, the main passage that we're going to look at, we're going to look at a lot of passages today, a lot of Bible. The, the biggest chunk, though, is going to be Romans chapter 12, 3 through 18. So here's what you can do. If, if, look, I'm just like way off the charts nerd for you today, you can't stand it. You've already got the chunk of scripture we're going to look at, and I'm going to go ahead and give you the big idea up front. So then you can just tune me out, and you can look down at your Bibles or your phones and you can read, and you can reflect, and you can pray, and you can seek God while I'm up here doing this thing, okay? Totally okay. Uh, you, you have permission for that for sure. Um, let me give you a little bit of an introduction so you're not coming in blind. Um, wait, first, anybody read the books? A few of you out there. A few, uh, few friends in the crowd. Nice job. Not too late for the rest of you. So here's a, here's a brief introduction. Um, so the Lord of the Rings was um, a trilogy of books. Um, and it's written by uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, he was an Englishman. He fought in World War I. He was an Oxford professor. He was a master linguist. And uh, he was a follower of Jesus. And so he wrote, he started writing this as a mythology. So he was English, and he, he was very familiar with Norse mythology, Greek, Roman theology, theologies of all these other cultures. And for him, it was like, I don't know, English, English mythology is kind of lame. It's, it's lacking. So what if I just went and made my own? 
Um, and in doing so, he created legitimate languages. Like not, he didn't just say, this word will mean this in my book. I mean, he made languages, alphabets. I mean, it was a lifetime of work uh, that went into this. And so the, the main works that you'd be familiar with is, um, uh, the, it's called the Silmarillion, the Hobbit, and the Lord of the Rings. So the Silmarillion was actually edited and compiled by his, his son, Christopher, after his death, but it's all of his writings that he went through over the years. Um, and it's basically this history of the world in his fictional world, all right? First, if any of you have, a tr have trouble with, like, fantasy and fairy tales, um, I came across a great, a great uh, tweet yesterday that I thought was perfect for this, and Tolkien covers this. He's got, a, he's got a, an article called Mythopoeia and then on, fairies, on fairy stories. So you should read that, and he'll change your mind. But um, this tweet basically said, fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. And so there's truth to find in every medium. I mean, that's why we're doing this series. I mean, these are movies and they're entertaining, but we can look for and we should look for God in every area of life because life is a bunch of image bearers of God, whether they realize it, claim it, want to believe that or not. So that's what we're doing. We're kind of searching through that. So the Cimmerian is a history of, uh, of the world. It's basically like his mythology. It starts out with a creation story. Um, Tolkien was a Christian, and so he, he said often, you know, my mythology, my books need to represent um, my Judeo-Christian worldview. So it has an all-powerful God. His name is uh, Iluvatar. He created all things, and then he created these angelic beings. And the story is basically, it's a great epic tale, but it kind of explains along the way, well, why is the sun here? Or why are the planets here? Why are the mountains? You know, similar to mythology epic stuff. So that's, that's basically the Silmarillion tells of the first thousands and thousands of years of the history of his fictional world. Um, there's elves and there's men and there's dwarves and there's orcs and there's other things we don't have to dig into. You can read it on your own. Um, but similar to like us in Christianity, so there's God and there, there's angels, these immortal beings that he, he created, and then there's one that wants to be God. And his name in the, in the tale is Morgoth, and the Cimmerian talks about how he fell because he, he desired to be God and overthrow God's creation. He wanted to be the creator. Uh, so that would definitely correlate to our Satan of the Bible. And the Cimmerian ends basically with his destruction. And then it ties into, it tells us the story of his first in command, basically. This is the name that you might be familiar with. If you're familiar with the books, his name's Sauron. Uh, he's sort of enter the new, like, Satan figure into this tale. The new enemy of the, of the world uh, that has to be dealt with. Um, so he creates these rings. That's why it's called Lord of the Rings. Uh, he creates these rings and gives them to elves and men and dwarves as gifts because he's all like, you know, I'm your friend. We're, we're close. We're cool. And then he creates this other ring in secret. We'll watch the tale. It'll, it'll, uh, it'll explain it. Creates this other ring in secret that's meant to control those. Because he wants to control and dominate and rule and essentially destroy the world. The Hobbit, now, is the tale of how that ring 
that was lost and forgotten for hundreds of years was found. Then the Lord of the Rings enters after the Hobbit, and it's the story of how that ring would be destroyed. Because, all right, and just nerd out with me for a minute, so much of Sauron's hate and evil and wickedness and darkness and power he, he put inside of this ring that he is bound up to it. So his existence is with the very existence of the ring. That's why it's got to be destroyed or else this ultimate evil power will never cease, right? You're going to see this, uh, you're going to see the story of how the first time he was defeated, the ring was cut from his hand um, by a man named Isildur, all right, just bear with me, and, uh, but because the ring was not destroyed, because Isildur desired power and influence and was drawn to that, that darkness, he didn't destroy it, Sauron could rise back up, so the whole of Lord of the Rings basically is Sauron looking for his ring. Okay, that makes sense. You can stop me at any time if you are confused, but that's the best I know how to do um, to help you see it. So the, the Lord of the Rings is broken up into three books, The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and The Return of the King. All of our clips are going to be from the first book slash movie, The Fellowship of the Ring. So I want to read Romans 12, 3 through 18, before we watch our clip. So, Jamie, will you pull up that first uh, Romans slide? And then I want to give you your big idea. So the, the themes today are all themes prevalent in Tolkien's writings. Other, other themes that are prevalent is that the creator God is good, and he's intimately involved with his creation. He has purpose for everyone. He, de he desires good and redemption and restoration. He, he asserts his will into the picture. He guides. Um, themes are, are the story of good overcoming evil, the theme of light overcoming darkness, and that darkness cannot overcome and destroy the light. Uh, other major themes are the folly of pride and greed. So Tolkien, um, excellent writer, made an excellent tale. A better tale is uh, the book of Romans. Okay, so can we start there? Um, they're all up on the screen. I hope you can see that. I'm just going to read from there. You ready? All right, this is Romans 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, okay, he's talking to believers in Rome, okay, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you, for just as each of us has one body with many members, right? So he starts comparing us to the body, jazz hands. Um, just like you have different body parts, but you're one body. And these members do not all have the same function, right? My ears don't do what my toes do. So in Christ, we, though many, many, many of us form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Let's keep going. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's, if it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 
Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Next one. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And the last slide, do not repay evil, anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Pull up the big idea for us. As I said, you might just want to park it there and ignore me. I will not take offense. Here's our big idea, okay? And these are also all three of our main points today. Let us not think too little of ourselves, nor too great. And above all, let us think of unity. Let me pray for us, and we're going to go into the first clip, all right? So God, I pray, um, I pray this morning that you would resonate those truths with us, that you, would, that you would activate our purpose and our passions and not let us think ourselves too small, that you would humble the proud, and God, that you would unite us and that you would heal divisions and that um, you would unite us in perfect love as one body. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for those truths. Would you speak to us this morning in Jesus' name? Amen. Play that first clip for us. All right, we got to fly. So where we're at is Bilbo Baggins has found that ring, and Bilbo is the least likely person on the face of the earth to have something like that. It's this thing that's got to be destroyed. It belongs to the great evil power of the world, and someone so small has found it. So hobbits are very small. They're, they're, they're a race similar to the race of men. They're so small. They, they get mistaken for children. And if anybody would feel small, it would be a hobbit. So look at the first chunk of this big idea. Let us not think of ourselves uh, too little of ourselves. Even the smallest person can change the course of history is what you heard. So if anyone ever felt small and unseen, it would be hobbits. They were nicknamed halflings. Just not cool, right? No one gave them any thought in the books or the movies. Um, most everybody was surprised to see them on the road. And a lot of people, if you're reading through the books, didn't even realize that they existed or thought that they were like a myth. Um, but the fate of the world at stake, literally at stake, the creator in this story, the creator God in this story, because divine will was important, uh, called and empowered the least likely person to do the task. It didn't matter that they were small. It didn't matter that they didn't have weapons. It didn't know how to swing a sword. He called the least likely of all. The God of real life does the same thing. And that's the biggest thing I want you to get today. That if you feel small, believers in the room, if you feel small, remember that in your weakness, he's made strong. 
That's what 2 Corinthians 12, 9 tells us. Let me read you that. But he said to me, this is Paul speaking about Jesus, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, uh, then I am strong. Listen, if you feel insignificant as a believer, remember that you have purpose. Look at, remember that passage that we read in Romans. I'm not going to read the whole chunk again. You need to go back later. and you, I hope you're jotting these down. Please jot these passages down. I'll throw a lot at you. But from back in Romans 12, he says, We have gifts that differ. Each of us is to exercise them. Not, not, the, not the flashy people up in the church. Not the people who are good speakers. Not the people who have money. Not the people who are smart. Okay? You have purpose. You are gifted by God to serve, to be part of the body of Christ. Exercise them. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself. You think you're insignificant. Listen, if you feel unworthy, remember that who has fallen short of the glory of God? Romans 3.23. All. You're no less worthy than me or Paul or the band. All have fallen short. If you feel less than, remember that you are equally children of God in Christ. I want to read you another passage. Galatians 3, 26 through 29 says, So in Christ, talking about believers, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Neither slave nor free, neither male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise. You're co-heirs with Christ. If you feel powerless, okay, if you're here and you feel powerless, remember that the same spirit in you raised Jesus from the dead, okay? So you have all the power that you need, regardless of what you think of yourself. Listen, the, you can look at the other side of this coin. Because we're bad as, as human beings about marginalizing other people as well. So some of you in here don't think that you're good enough to be a functional part of the body of Christ. And that is incorrect. And we just looked at passages, why? Because God gifted you and he called you. And I'm going to tell you what to do with that in a little bit. Some of us are bad about marginalizing that group of people, though. So listen, if you're tempted to downgrade somebody else to this designation of small or to deem them insignificant, I want you to remember this passage, 1 Corinthians 12. And you can jot that down. Let me read it for you. 1 Corinthians 12, specifically 18 through 27, says this, but in, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? This one Paul tells jokes. He's like, if everybody was eyeballs, bruh, that would be so strange. Like, you would only be able to look around. Like, you wouldn't accomplish anything. Just kind of roll around and have dirty eyeballs. And... That would make no sense, right? 
So where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The Bible calls us the body of Christ, and we all make up that body. He goes on to say, um, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. He elevates the ones we call small. So that there should be no division in the body, but that each part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Not one of you is insignificant. Some of you feel like that is not for you. But listen, that is a, a very real message for people in this room. And that's something, unfortunately, that church culture can create. Can create a sect of people over to the side that don't feel like they are smart enough, good enough, capable enough, holy enough, etc. It's not up to you. It's the Spirit of God in you. You are valuable and necessary to the ministry of the church, and you must refuse to listen to or believe to anyone who says otherwise. That's part one. Let us not think too little of ourselves, because if we do, we're thinking too little of the Spirit of God that's in us, okay? I want to do the next clip. Can we do that? So Aragorn was the, is the rightful king of the free men, of free peoples, sorry, of Middle-earth, okay? He is, the, he is the descendant of Isildur, okay? So that was the guy that cut the ring, and he was like, awesome, I saved the world, and then he turned right back around, and he destroyed the world because he kept the ring, right? So Aragorn is in his line. He is supposed to come back and rule people and be the new king. That's why the last book is called Return of the King. But he is, he is scared in this clip that he's going to follow in the suit just like his, just like his ancestor. So listen, if anyone could have thought too much of himself, it would have been Aragorn. That's our next one. Don't think too little of ourselves, nor too great. And if anyone could have thought too great, it would have been Aragorn. He's the rightful king. He's Gandalf's right-hand man. He's valiant and skilled. He's 87 years old because he's one of the Dunedain. I know he looks like he's 30, and I don't have time to explain that to you. And he wears the ring of Bera here that came from Finrod, Felagund. I don't have time to explain that to you. And his girlfriend's an elf, and she really is about 3,000 years old. So I mean, he's got everything going for him, right? But he refused. He refused to think of himself as too great. Surrounded, even though, by people who thought too much of themselves. And you saw Isildur think he was great, and he ruined everything. You saw, you'll see Boromir in the films. He wants the ring because he wants to use it against the enemy, but he can't. Saruman is another character that falls. Denethor is another, is the like temporary ruler in Aragorn's place, and he falls. These men thought that they were great, but Aragorn embraced humility and meekness, and he rejected pride and arrogance. He realized this, and this is really important. Aragorn realized that if he was great, if he was great, it was because Iluvatar began a good work in him and gifted him for it and was big enough to see it through. We say the same thing. If there is something great in us, it is not because of us. 
It is because God is God and he is good and he has his hands actively in this world and go back to the first one, he has gifted you to be a part of it. Let me read you a couple verses about pride because this is, this is a, just a legit cancer that will kill you spiritually and it will tank everything around you and it happens in churches all the time with leaders with pastors it happens in businesses it happens in offices of elected officials it happens on stages it happens everywhere that pride arrogance comes in and says I am something great on my own accord and it destroys. Let me read you a couple of Proverbs real fast. When Proverbs 11:2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. 16:18, pride goes before destruction, and an arrogant spirit goes before a fall. Proverbs 18:12, before a downfall the heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. So when you feel proud or you struggle with that feeling that you are great and others are sort of owe you something or are less than you, when you feel proud, remember it's not you. It's Christ in you. It's Christ in you. Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, not me. So if I'm doing great things for God, it's because he is working through me. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, Peter calls us to clothe ourselves with humility, to wear humility like, a, like pants and a shirt, okay? Clothe yourselves with it. Paul says in Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself make others more important than yourself god consistently over and over in scripture here's what he does he calls us as believers to lower ourselves and elevate others like that's consistent jesus demonstrated the same thing throughout his life and he perfected that on the cross let me read you another passage you still with me? You don't need dad jokes, right? Because those were bad last time. Um, jot this one down. Mark, just jot down Mark 10. You should read the whole chapter. Mark 10, the disciples are all like talking about who's the best, and they want to be great, and they want like special honor, and they're asking Jesus these questions, and he's like, he's like, ugh, delete your account, right? And so he, he says this to them, and uh, let's go to... Go to verse 43. He said, whoever, this is Mark 10, verse 43. He says, whoever wants to become great must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Listen, God doesn't elevate people so that they're easier to be seen. Okay? That's normally why we put stuff on top of stuff, right? So you can see it better, right? I want you to see this picture of Grandma. I'm going to put it on this 
stand with a doily, right? You know what it's called? That's not why God elevates us. He doesn't elevate you so it's easier for you to be seen, but so it's easier for Jesus to be seen in you as you fall to your knees as servants of all. That's why he makes greatness in people. Does that make sense? So let's not think too little of ourselves. He's at work in us. He called us. Let's not think too great of ourselves. He did the work. He put it in us. He's working through us. Can we look at one more thing? Because now we need to look at unity. And all these things go together and we'll wrap up. One more clip, okay? So a right view of ourselves naturally leads to a right practice of unity. It's so important for us as the church. That, let's go back to that big idea. Let us not think too little of ourselves. Let us not think too great of ourselves. And above all, let us think of unity. And if we see ourselves correctly in light of how God has gifted us and called us, then we will unify with each other. So there was no unity at the council of Elrond. You saw that. There was a giant task at hand. They had their mission at hand. They had to destroy the ring. And notice what happens. Frodo, the least important person there, he stands up and he makes a great sacrifice. He volunteers to be the ring bearer, to take it and throw it in the fire and destroy it, even though that's basically like a death sentence. He sacrifices his life to go and do this task. And what does it do immediately? It unites the group. He recognized, I'm not too small for this task because God has called me to it. This is my purpose. Then the great ones, then, the great ones humbled themselves to serve on the journey. I hate to spoil it for you, but this was written uh, like during World War I and after. So if you don't know by now, they did destroy the ring. The mission was accomplished, and all nine of them, even Boromir, who in his pride tried to take it from Frodo. He even redeemed himself. All companions played a vital role because they were all part of that body. And if one of them had not been part of it, the whole thing falls apart. And you'll learn that from reading through the books, watching the films. Let's go back to Romans 12 one more time as we, as we close this up. So back at Romans 12... 16 through 18, he says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be arrogant or proud in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise of your own estimation. Don't pay back evil for evil. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Verse 10 in that, he says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Paul begs the Corinthian church in uh, 1 Corinthians 1 to agree, to be in agreement. He says, I beg you in the name of Jesus, agree with one another so there will be no divisions. The word division literally means to tear in half. It's the same word for when the veil was torn at the crucifixion. Literally, Paul's saying, please don't tear yourselves in half. Be unified in mind and body. He tells the, the Ephesians church in Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He tells the Colossian church in Colossians 3, 
bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Unity was vital to the mission of the Fellowship of the Ring. And I'm telling you, it's equally vital to the mission of the gathering and to the mission of the Christian church. Unity. Hey, how about some mood music? All right? Let's get out of here. But while we're, um, as you're getting ready to leave in just a moment, give me like five minutes, cool? We got to do something with this. So if all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and by our sins were separated from him, Jesus became the atoning sacrifice on the cross so that all the sins of the world would be forgiven. So anyone who believes in him might have everlasting life and be restored to relationship with the creator. So now Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, by grace or the gift of God through Jesus, by grace through faith you have been saved. That's what we call the good news, the gospel of Jesus. And so you might never have confessed Jesus as Lord. And that's the first person I'm calling to respond today. To believe in Jesus and become a part of this fellowship, pun intended. To become a part of this family of children of God. Believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I would call you in a moment to come down here. If you say, I don't know God. I don't know Jesus. I want to follow him. Come down here and let's talk through it and pray. And join this Christian fellowship that this whole thing we've been talking about today. But listen, that good news is the great equalizer. Jesus created a body of believers in which no one is insignificant. No one is great of their own making. And all are of equal importance to the mission of God. All of you. He made an amazing family. So listen, if you're in Christ and you feel like a hobbit today, you feel small, here's what I want you to do. Remember those passages. Remember that you are essential to the church and trust in God's promise. Pray for wisdom on how to serve your church and community and confidence. And here's maybe your altar call is this. Right back there with Diana. Will you wave? Next steps, because you're not going to feel small anymore, because you're going to recognize that you are gifted and called to do ministry along with everybody else in this church. And that's where you go next. Let's find a place where you can serve. Let's help you understand more about the mission of our church. Let's help you understand more about your relationship with Jesus. That's your literal next step. Man, stand against that feeling of insignificance. And follow God's call back there. It might be that you are like the, the men in the story who struggle with pride and arrogance. And listen, you can struggle with number two and the, the, the being too small and being too great. You can struggle with both of those probably in the same day. It's okay. It happens. But if you're struggling with arrogance, with pride, with, with this bloated sense of self that I am great and I've made myself like this. I'm going to call you to the altar. And I want you to simply humble yourself before God, fall on your knees, and ask Him to soften your heart.
pray like John the Baptist who said, oh, that I would decrease and Jesus would increase. But there's one more group. If you lack unity with believers at, at the gathering or in other areas of life, remedy it now. Fix it. Forgive, ask for forgiveness, or engage in healing conversations. And they might be hard. It took Frodo doing something that he didn't want to do to unite. So listen, I'm going to say go. You know which one of those you fit into. And that last one, if you need to go make a, you might need to go make a phone call and have a conversation with somebody you need to unite with for the sake of the glory of God. That also might be a great way if you're ready to leave and go get your kids, you can sneak out and be like, I'm going to call somebody and be spiritual and tell them I'm sorry. You can sneak out with the rest of them. Come down here, pray, meet Jesus. Come down here, humble yourself, ask for a soft heart. Go back there and take next steps in the family of God. Or come down here or go out there and do whatever it takes to be in unity. Okay? Let me pray, and when I say amen, that's your cue. You go where you need to go, okay? Thank you, God, that you have gifted and called us, that you have given us your spirit to be at work. We thank you for your goodness, for your love. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for the lessons that we can see and learn about you in life all around us. I pray you'd help us not to miss it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's move.